Well, we're continuing on in our series in the book of Acts, and I want to read for us the scripture for today's message. It comes from Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 13. This is the reading of God's word. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, and from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And now let's give our attention to the faithful preaching of God's word. Thank you to the reading of God's word. Thank you to Pastor Jimmy. It's great to be together once again in Sunday worship here at Christ Central. We're looking at Acts chapter 8, and we come to this, you would say, unusual, uh, maybe overtly spiritual clash. Uh, the Bible actually ta talks about spiritual warfare, and this is exactly what's happening in this passage. Um, our religious culture today is very much like the culture of the Greco-Roman world. Technology, transportation, mobility were all on the rise. And so people could actually choose to become less religious or they could make up or craft their own religion or actually mix and syncretize a lot of, a lot of religions together. But this early church, <laughs> those first early Christian believers filled by the Holy Spirit, they just kept worshiping, worshiping, speaking, proclaiming, sharing, and suffering even for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God above all. I've just got four elements so that will help us guide, guide us along on this story. Four elements. First, there is consistent conflict. Consistent conflict. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 declares, announces the gospel, which is good news. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> You put your faith in Jesus, a substitute Savior, and you and I who once declared independence and we were rebelling and raging, we wanted nothing to do with God. In other words, we were at war with God. You are actually now found to be at peace with God through Jesus. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. The moment you come to believe, at the moment of your conversion, if you experience peace with God, now you are at war with the enemies of God. One of the confirming things that you've had a change of identity, status, lifestyle, that you are indeed a brand new child of God, is that now you have new enemies. There's no new wars to be fought. Again, this is called spiritual warfare. There's differing degrees of this, but there is a consistent pattern to it. When do these... Conflicts arise most. When do these conflicts 
usually happen most. Here's when it happens most. It's when the gospel spreads, when the word of Jesus Christ and the works of Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit advances, his kingdom expands. You can make sure there will be resistance, opposition, a counterattack, even violence sometimes. Look at chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, which precedes our passage today. Now, those who were scattered, the early Christians had been persecuted, violence against them, in prison. They were forced to go abroad. Those who were scattered went about, what did they do, though, while they were scattered? Preaching the word. And one of the first missionaries from Jerusalem, one of the first evangelists by the name of Philip, it starts here in chapter 8, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Ah, when do spiritual conflicts arise most? Philip spoke about the gospel of Jesus in new territory. Now, the Samaritans, of course, were looked down upon as half-breeds. They were considered of lower status. Racism, cultural centrism, nationalism was as rampant then as it is now. But here is Philip going down into new boundaries, crossing new boundaries. And he is intruding into territory that was previously dominated by a magician, Simon of Samaria. Philip brought about a new power. He brought about a new ownership or a new ruler into territory that had been previously dominated by another power or king. This is classic territorial conflict. Okay, it's turf warfare. This is my neighborhood, not yours. It's a clash of kingdom powers. When a new CEO or owner comes into your company, usually there's a whole new slate of managers and VPs. This is as real in the spiritual realm. With new ownership, with a new king in town, conflicts happen to arise. I mean, listen, Simon had once enjoyed the label, quote, People were calling this. This man is the power of God that is called great. That's quite a title. How did he get that title? Because he was practicing magic. It's from the Greek word magos, which we get magic from. And magic is he had amazed the Samaritans by having some kind of connection and was enabled to manipulate Supernatural spiritual powers for one's own benefit and gain and to the harm of your enemies. Magic was a connection to or manipulation of very real spiritual authorities and powers which promised to give you some control over the uncontrollable, like fertility, falling in love, success, wealth, Blessings for you and nothing but curses and harm for those you don't like. Now, here's a consistent pattern to when spiritual warfare happens to be stoked. Anytime, anywhere, the word and the works of Jesus is proclaimed and spread, the gospel is on the move, and the kingdom of God advances, you can be sure that the previous empire 
strikes back. The previous powers do not like it one bit. This usually happens to individuals, small groups, churches that are vitalized and growing in the gospel and then are very zealous and creative and energetic about inviting and sharing that gospel with family and friends and neighbors. Wherever the gospel is on the move, so is the enemy. Wherever the kingdom of God advances, the previous kingdom hits back. Always hits back. And here's what Satan, the enemy of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and his church, just loves to do. He doesn't come out blatantly to ruin it all by just obvious falsehoods, but he dilutes things. He will divide things. He will distract. He will distort and then therefore destroy. In other words, all that Satan has to do is take 90% truth and then just add 10% error. All that Satan has to do is take a movement supposedly caused and born from love, but just add a little bit of dosage of hate. I don't know if you know about this recent controversy right now. Former artist by the name of Kanye West and now an NBA superstar, Kyrie Irving. As I understand, they're pro-black. Pro-black. That's great. But at the same time, their version of being pro-black happens to be anti-Semitic too. This is nonsense. It's inconsistent. You don't have to be pro-black and then hate Jews. The world exposes and calls this out because it's so inconsistent. And it just brings a lot of chaos and hatred and ruin. You know, there are a lot of people today who say they're pro-Jesus. You're really pro-Jesus. But then you're anti-church. You're pro-gospel, but you're like anti-Christian people. You're pro-Jesus, but you act anti-Christian yourself in your speech and spirit or conduct. Now, you see, my friends, not only is that inconsistent, not only is that nonsense, but did you know that's perfectly consistent as to what our enemy does? The consistent conflict that our enemy wants to bring is in any way to just simply dilute, divide, and distort the movement of his kingdom. Now, you know, I happen to know some of the finest human beings in the world who are, happen to be pastors and missionaries, and it's uncanny that when their ministry of the gospel is spreading the kind of trials and temptations and setbacks, even illnesses or attacks that come upon their lives, I know of a missionary who used to have the vivid, most vilest nightmares every night. He used to never have nightmares like that when he moved into that city in Asia. I know of a former local pastor whose child was really, really oppressed. And it was not a medical, it was not a psychiatric, it was not a mental, it was not a other diagnosable condition whatsoever. You see, not everything is explainable or solvable by natural human means. This is not all coincidental. 
that people in movements who are about the business of Jesus advancing and the rule in the kingdom of God spreading throughout the end of the earth, do you really think that is just an easy, downhill, smooth ride? You know, we've been praying for some missionary partners, and this morning I got this text message. Thank you, Daniel Pack, who's part of our missions committee. And I'd like to read this for us from our missionary partners and uh, they have this news to announce and I would love for us to know this as CCSC. It is with extreme sadness we announce that Sarah C. has passed away on the field on November 6, 2022. She is dearly loved by her family, friends, boyfriend, and team. She was a talented and spirit-filled worship leader in her early 20s and joined a team in Southeast Asia to focus on prayer and worship. She was thriving on the field on her team. Sarah was not scared of death and often told people that she was ready to be with God in heaven because she loved Jesus so much. Now she is with her king. Now she is with her king. A consistency to the conflict. Oh, but take heart. We're about to sing it in a song. It's taken straight from Romans chapter 8. What the enemy intends and means for evil, God can turn for good. Always. Whatever harm or conflict or devastation may arise, God is supreme in his power and wisdom and purposes to even use it for good. Consistent conflict, however. A second element, contrast. Stark contrast in this passage, is there not? It says the Samaritans, Samaritans had once paid all their attention to Simon because of his magical arts. But now they turned all their attention to Philip, the new guy in town with the gospel. Crowds had been amazed by Simon's magical arts. But all by verse 13, that last verse that we read, Simon the magician himself is astonished by Philip's miracles, and he ends up following Philip around. Such contrast, and then such contrasting results as well. The effects of a Simon of Samaria in your life versus the effect of Philip, the missionary, the evangelist. Look at chapter 8, verse 8. It reads, before our passage, because of Philip had arrived in Samaria, there was much joy in that city. Full, genuine, leaping, abounding joy. Demons were cast out. In illnesses and the lame were healed. Sins were forgiven. People reconciled. And people were changed with a life-giving, lasting joy that they had previously never known. That is one of the telltale marks of God's presence with his people. But once again, wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ brings so much joy, so comes the enemy of God to kill off all joy. Simon of Samaria was baptized. It even says the apostles laid hands on him. The Bible says he believed. But I assure you, he went through all the motions, but his heart and motivations were never changed. 
Simon knew he could not compete with Philip's popularity and fame and power. He could not compete with Philip's message, ministry, and miracles. There was no contest. There's only one absolute superior power in the room. So he coveted what Philip had, and he tried to purchase and manipulate the power that Philip was demonstrating. He wanted to manipulate the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's where we pick up in verses 18 to 23. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit, the Spirit of God, was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Wow, Apostle Peter holds nothing back. How scathing is this? He tells Simon of Samaria in his attempt to purchase and manipulate the power of God and the Holy Spirit, he basically tells him, you should die. Did you know Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 died on the spot for lying to the Holy Spirit, lying to the leaders of the church? Did you know that the holiness of God sometimes can operate in this fashion? Peter says here, you should die along with your money. He says, your heart is not right. You're wicked and you are enslaved. You're trapped in the bond of iniquity. Now, as awful and scathing as that really is, it's general, isn't it? I'm pretty certain most people in this room, as you hear that, kind of just passes you by. Maybe it lands better when he gets to a detail of what wickedness and iniquity is all about. He says, you're in the gall of bitterness. Oof. Bitterness. Now, what is that? What is that? Bitterness is resentful cynicism that results in intense antagonism or hostility toward others. We could project that on the next slide there. Bitterness is resentful cynicism that results in intense antagonism or hostility toward others. Modern terminology for this may be toxic. You heard of that? Toxic people, toxic personalities, bitterness, bitterness. Now, here's how the Bible unpacks bitterness a little bit. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, beware, beware, you better watch out. Just like Peter told Simon, repent of that. In Hebrews, it says, you better beware of the root of bitterness. Now, the reason why it's called a root is because when you are in bitterness, you don't see it. You don't acknowledge it. You don't own it. Bitter people will never apologize for anything that they've done. It's usually to blame and demonize other people what they've done. In bitterness, you won't be fair, you won't be truthful, you won't be balanced, there's no nuance. 
In bitterness, it's all about all the grievances that has been done to you, but nothing about how can we actually heal and resolve from that. And do you know in that same verse of the root of bitterness, you better beware, you better see it, you better admit it, you better own it, you better repent of it because it's wicked, it's wicked, it's going to clutch you and trap you and take you down. In the same verse it says and mentions the name of another character, the devil. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about Satan or the devil a lot. It doesn't want you to always look for the devil under every rock. But while with bitterness, he's there. Why would that be? Because it's his number one go-to tool. Bitterness is the number one tool of the very enemy of God. Look at the contrast. Look at the contrast. Philip arrives in town. Much joy in the city. Simon of Samaria arrives, you hang out with him too much, it never gets better, just more bitter. The contrast, the contrast. The contrast of the company we keep, the contrast of who we listen to, the contrast of how much value or credibility we would give to anyone. And if you're around Simons, and I don't want to be gender exclusive, or Simonettes, okay? Simons and Simonettes, if you always leave with antagonism and hostility intensified, with resentment and cynicism on steroids, you have been made more bitter and bitterness spreads. But if you've been around a Philip, Oh, Jesus says, you will judge the root, someone's real harder character by their fruit, their results, even their social results. There's a huge contrast. This is what it reads in Romans chapter 14 of people who are much like Jesus. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And for mutual upbuilding. Oh, my friends, wherever the gospel is trying to grow or advancing or moving, consistent conflict. Wherever the kingdom of God wants to advance through you, through this church, overseas, globally, consistent conflict bank on it but the lord is supreme he can turn it and use it all for good look at the contrast of what the kingdom of god brings versus the enemy of god third element real quick now condemned condemned now you know magic okay magic not quite sure i'm including like david copperfield or those but Please follow along with me. Magic in its real original forms in contact with supernatural forces like astrology, Ouija boards, seances, trances, of course, drug-induced stupors, okay? Shortcut compromising gambles toward wild wealth and success without the work, the character, and the integrity. 
All of these are incompatible with believing and following Jesus. In Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, when another spiritual warfare broke out, former magicians confessed their magical arts, divulged all their practices, and they took all their books filled with all the arts and they burnt them in a fire. Simon here in our passage, he is condemned because he wanted God on his own terms. Simon wanted to use God for magic, never to be mastered by God. Simon only wanted a genie in a bottle. He never wanted God to be his God. And there's proof that this is where he was at. Verse 24, which we didn't read, chapter 8. And Simon answered to Peter after he got called out in public, soundly condemned, pray for me, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Begging for mercy, begging for relief, good. But did you notice here? Hey, I thought he was baptized. I thought the apostles laid hands on him. I thought he had become a believer. No, he can't pray. No, he really can't pray. There is no prayer life because he has no personal contact or relationship with God. He has really no personal relationship with God because as long as you come to God wanting magic rather than for God to master you, you cannot pray. Condemned. Oh, we close with the last one, the fourth one. Most needed. Oh, Lord. The way of the cross. Crossway. Crossway. Let me put it the most, the most practical way I can say it today. And I think it's most practical for your health. I think it's most practical for your emotional life. I think it's most practical psychologically. I think it's most practical for your family. I think it's most practical for your marriage. I think it's most practical emotionally, relationally, you name it. This might be the most practical thing when we get to the way of the cross. If you and I try to assume and exercise all control, even over God, as long as you and I try to assume and exercise all controls over your kids never getting hurt, over your failing health, over your finances, over that crisis, over your community, over our politics, over our families. And as long as you and I keep trying to do that, to exercise all controls to all areas of life. Oh, my dear friends, you will suffer. And you're always going to feel out of control because you are. Now, here's Jesus, who had infinite powers and controls. He really is the master and the supreme of the whole universe. And he comes all the way down and he surrenders himself and gives up all powers and controls entirely to God and to save you from self-destruction. 
The way that Jesus masters his people is by surrendering himself up and giving himself entirely over to you. So that you and I can surrender. Gladly surrender. And trust and follow the only one out of all those crises and situations. The only one who is perfectly loving, powerful, and good to run the whole world and to run you. Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. Deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. My friends, that means surrender your sovereignty, lay down your wisdom, loosen your grip on all of life and all of the future, stop obsessing about how you can solve and fix that on your own, but surrender and trust and follow the one who gave himself up for you. And you will find the greatest, life-giving, joyful, joy-giving master you could ever meet. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for this word this day. And I pray that by the power and the movement of your Holy Spirit, bring us into your arms. Oh, Lord, take a weary, tested, tempted, tried people. Oh, so often, oh Lord, we trust ourselves. We rely on our own strength and smarts or wisdom or wealth. But Lord, this day, bring us to him. Bring us to yourself so that in your arms we may not only find safety, but true life, joy, and wisdom and strength. Lord, hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.